Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Saints Radio. I am so happy to be able to sit down with you and share some things about our mutual walk on behalf of our Heavenly Father. And I do want to reiterate at the very beginning of this broadcast how much we appreciate each of you. This walk is, um, is a wonderful walk of faith, but it, it, has its, it has its challenges that are unique to being what a saint really is. And um, I, I, over the past uh, oh, several months, have been um, engaged in what I would call spiritual warfare uh, against. Uh, I would. I really don't know how to how to describe it. I mean, it's it's not like the accuser of the brethren, but it is a um, it is what I know to be a demonic influence that would that would say, uh, you know. What, what you and as a saint has have done, is noble. But what has it really accomplished? And you know, you you see uh, the the terrain ahead, and you just wonder if it's even worth going there. And and I'm not having a pity party. I mean, we've come too far together for that. I believe that everything we experience can be found in the Word. And I remember that um, before there's any great enterprise of breaking through into a new thing, that type of an atmosphere uh, will generate those types of enemy strategy. Uh, We've talked about them so many times over the years, but I, I don't recall a time where it, it was so intrusive. You know, we've talked about Moses, we've talked about Elijah, we talked about Eve in the garden, we talked about the things that Satan said to Jesus in the wilderness at the beginning of our Lord's earthly. Um, of, of well, it really wasn't the beginning of his earthly ministry because he had to he had to live as fully God, fully man for thirty years. There were a lot of things that undoubtedly happened in the stages of what the Father required of him during his earthly life. But when we say the beginning of his earthly ministry. What we really mean is when it was time for him to be shown uh, as the Messiah. And that three-plus-year time frame is what we generally say as, you know, Jesus began his earthly ministry. But he, he had to have had lots of different encounters with the Father and lots of ways that he had to show himself willing to follow the plan of the Father 
during those decades leading up to when he emerged into uh, the time uh, in the wilderness, the time in the baptism by John. Uh, but the point, though, is that before we break through into anything new, you're going to encounter scenarios like what I'm feeling right now. It doesn't make it any less um, potentially damaging to understand that these things are there, but to see that they are in the Scripture, in prominent places with the Lord and others who we deem with great respect, um, really, really helps you to know. Okay, this isn't this isn't an indication of our personal weakness, or this isn't an indication that we have failed. It's it's indicative of what happens in the atmosphere leading into a breakthrough moment or a a promotion moment in the spirit. And so, you know, I used to, and we've lived this together. Um, back in the general church, I would say, what, what in the world's wrong with Elijah? You know, he just had a major victory. So why is he acting the way he is? I, I, I remember the general church teaching about that. I heard preachers preach about it, and they said that Elijah's public ministry was what he focused on when his personal relationship with God was suffering. Oh, that preached well, but I don't believe that for a minute. I think that Elijah, of all people, was more, dare I say, secluded. He wasn't out in the public eye as much. And when you're that way, you better have a personal relationship with God, even the way that God interacted with him on the on the mountain indicated that this wasn't Elijah's first rodeo, so to speak. He he communed with God. He he uh, he knew God. So this was something entirely different. And you you hear what he says. You hear what Moses says. Um, where you really reflect on what it is that you've accomplished. Maybe from a human perspective, what you've not accomplished. And this is where the enemy hits. Um, and so these have been really unique days for all of us. Uh, and But we have to remember that they are triumphant days and our work is not finished. And I think the enemy's strategy would be to try to convince you to to just cash it in, which is essentially what Elijah did and what Moses then had to do. Um, and that's, of course, not <clears throat> what God wants for any of us. So, I consider the things that the Spirit has been showing us in his word over the past month particularly. 
And I, I think about how, from my perspective, the, that the Heavenly Father has basically direct me as to what I'm supposed to be preaching, which for the most part he always has. But the way that God has been doing it over this past month has been rather unusual. To have a sequence like he has been uh, guiding us through, where in the, in the middle of the night you awaken and you can hear discussion and you know that's what you're supposed to speak on. And then you have the scope of an hour or more maybe to go with the Spirit into a study, put together the scriptures uh, concerning what you've been hearing about in the Spirit that has to do with the scripture. Um, and then to come and bring a big chunk of divine meat to the people uh, to do it back to back to back is is really an unusual there's an urgency and you know the Bible talks about that strong meat belongs to those that are of a full age and those who have had experience in walking with God what you do with that strong meat is up to you and you know I'll probably speak a little bit more tomorrow on Wednesday Night Live about this topic of the resurrection because I know I, I, I know that it is a primary topic for the church. Anytime you talk about the resurrection of Jesus, you're talking a cardinal point. You better at least be somewhat clear of what you're not saying because you know the enemy will try to disparage anything we do which is why we've said from the very beginning we we're going to have to establish everything that happens every spiritual encounter in the word and um so we we have to do our very best to be transparent with that approach but um, we, you know, you don't have a whole lot of time to to break apart something and just uh, cut it into bite-sized pieces for a pneumaticos people. The, this stuff is coming so quickly. There's an urgency and excitement, dare I say, in the spirit about what's happening, even the things that uh, what he what God's revealing, even the things that. Like I said, when I awaken uh, and I can sense that the Holy Spirit, perhaps uh, the angelic, uh, these voices are all talking about a topic and citing scripture after scripture. It's, it's as if that these things are being unveiled by the Father and it's, it's an immediate unveiling in the spirit realm and all of these all of these uh, representatives from the angelic core to the elders to the spirit guiding and the the, the triumph of uh, immediately knowing this is what the father has released for now here's where it is and that excitement 
um, it's really an interesting thing to hear, but we're, we're called to be part of that. And th for pneumonicos people, we, we've got to be, uh, we've, we've got to be uh, those that are described as being capable of dealing with strong meat. And we've got to do our business of studying it for ourselves and uh, moving forward uh, with what's happening at the throne and the temple of the tabernacle to, to get those verses into our spirit and to, um, to then lay claim, as it were, to what the Father is releasing in conjunction with those scriptures. Um, so we have a responsibility. In fact, I have felt, you know, when we first started here and I was needing to bring fresh revelation to a congregation that had pretty much been entertained for years. Um, and I can say that without being critical of anybody else because um, I had been the pastor for 10 years. Uh, I was the one filling the pulpit during that time. You know, yes, you, you try to bring the word, you try to minister, but you know as well as I do that if you're going to build a general church, you've got to, you've got to provide a lot of things and, and really be competitive with it to um, convince people and families that this is the place they should be. And, and really performing, I don't want, I don't want to sound crass, uh, my heart was in it. The spirit, I believed I was doing God's work and I believe we were. But for the large part, when I started bringing things that the spirit was showing us in the scripture that were really at the time revolutionary, they were scripture. I knew even when I'd say it, that <clears throat> a lot of it was being rejected it was totally different than what we'd done. Um, we, we had people on the floor through on the power of the Spirit, people in the Peace Chapel who were just calling out to God. It was open warfare to receive what God was trying to give to us and what God was wanting to um to cause us to step into with him. And there were many times where, you know, I would look to the wall and really speak a lot of things to either wall, to the right and to the left. And I was reminded of Elijah um, and so many of the prophets who, who said, you know, Ezekiel, um, those passages that speak about, you know, I have to speak this word. My head's got to be as, 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 as adamant stone. Um, and it's not that you try to be that. In fact, that's the funny thing about this because I was never that way. I, I always tried to find a way not to dodge an issue, but to mediate it and to get something uh, done 
you it was a, it was really political big churches do this you you have to know how to touch all the points to bring everybody in the line and then if you can make them feel like that was their idea from the beginning that's the way you do it and um so to be giving words that i knew there were people who were just <laughs> obstinately against what we were doing there were people that were in the valley of decision there were people who were uh, who'd come to this church and they came under my pastorate who were recognizing the reason I came here with my family was that this 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 and this would be provided and as much as we love you pastor we've got to go to a place where this is being done. Now, I hated that. I, I didn't like that. But um, when the scriptures would come, we would basically, um, God would say, why is this happening? And you'd go to the scripture and he'd show you. And then you'd explain. It was the to do and the to teach thing for several years. All the while, if there was something that happened and immediately I knew that's not scriptural. I, I would do my best to correct it or address it into the prayer teams to say, look, we're not doing this. This isn't what the Scripture says. But if there was something that the Spirit kept leading us to, and then I'd say, okay, you know, there's nothing really wrong with what we're doing. There's nothing unscriptural about it. But it does indicate something that's in the Scripture that we've never seen. And then the Spirit would reveal things, and, and we would teach them. Now, that's great for everybody who is <laughs> interceding and moving in the Spirit. But if, if you're not doing it, it's just a bunch of stuff that you don't really want to hear. You're convicted. And, and so, um, but that's the way that the Lord led us. And it filled volumes of books and has filled lots of teaching um, stratagems that we, all of us as saints, have been able to apply and to live by and to make disciples throughout the nations. But where we are now, I said all that for this reason, there is an urgency and there is a, there is a high-level spiritual opposition to everything that we're doing at this point. And I have a lot, I have much more, uh, it's not that I never had, that I lost respect for Elijah and Moses, but I have much more of an understanding of what was really going on in those passages of Scripture because we're living it to a certain degree. I, I'm not um, pretentious enough to say that, oh yes, we're feeling the same thing. It's the same principle, and and we're we're sensing it. So, but but the way God's bringing things, it's, it's like, okay, for instance, I've used this because this is something that we've all known. We uh, <clears throat> we began to pray, and there were a lot of people that would just be on the floor on their face, and because we recognized that we were praying legitimately, it wasn't some mania. This is what the Spirit wanted, and, and then God led us to understand, okay, this is proskuneo. 
This is what the Father looks for. Look at it in the New Testament. It's everywhere. Look at it in the Old Testament. Shaka. And look look at where it is. This is this is what you're doing. And so because of what we were experiencing, God to do and to teach showed us the scripture. So take that into where we are now. And in our intercession, in the time frame God has that's going on in, in uh, being revealed in the spirit realm and in the natural all around us, these things are happening. We're experiencing them. And in the same paradigm of function, God is releasing things from his throne. The scriptures are being confirmed from the place of the thesaurus to the place where the scrolls are being revealed and they're being proclaimed and read aloud. There's a lot of this is that going on in the spirit realm. And in accordance with our purpose, we're fulfilling the purpose of God, why we're here. It's why it's a lot of it's happening in dream sequences and in night visions and um, so, I, you know, I've been praying, declaring the blood of Jesus before I go to bed because in, in the night sequences, these things are being discussed. And then you wake and um, you know, hey, we're experiencing this. This is part of our, our eternal purpose for this time frame. And um, so... All of the discussion about the resurrection and the power of the resurrection, God is taking us into a new depth in that. And so today, John 11, we talked about this on Sunday briefly, but it was like, I feel sorry for my congregation, but thank God the people that are here now are used to this. They're veterans and they just know this is what God does, how can you fault that it's in the Scripture? I mean, you know, we've worked together for so long that they would know that if pastor's bringing this stuff on an Easter Sunday, then on a Resurrection Sunday, we just better go with it. And so I'm grateful for my congregation, but we ran through it. And um, it needs to be further exemplified. So I think back a few couple of weeks ago, we talked about the triumph. Last week, we talked about the triumphal entry um, and Jesus standing, looking out over Jerusalem, weeping. And it's the only time that he, he wept in a mourning kind of a way because the old covenant was gone. It, it was saying goodbye. It was dead. And the, the, the prospect of what God tried to do in that city, in the temple, that was transitioning. And so if there was a, if there was a, uh, a burial to, to mourn, it was that. And so what Jesus says, and then he weeps, and we connected it with the, uh, the Valley of Baca. We talked about weeping and the eyes. And we talked about the, the, the 16th letter of the Hebrew that is uh, in, indicative of the eye. This is called the same by the same name. 
and um, how that 70 was the uh, the shorthand representation uh, when you when you talked about the number 70 or the quantity of 70 you would use that so the I really represents the 70 and we talked about all that and I believe that God is commissioning us to believe for the 70 to really be released two by two as it were um, fulfilling their tetheme, seeing the anointing flow. Uh, we, we, we need to latch hold of that and be praying because Moses had the 70, Jesus had the 70, and it is something that represents people who are discerning what God's saying through the eyes and then representing that in a bigger way than we've known. But as he was leading into the week, that happened. But then... Let's consider what Jesus said in John 11. We talked about this on Sunday. Here he is at the tomb of Lazarus. And, um, you know, the whole story of the Lazarus encounter, anybody reading it, any Christian reading it, would think on surface it, it, it's nonsensical. You know, you have, you can read it yourself. You know it. You have word coming to the disciples that Lazarus is dying. And Jesus, some of them are saying, we better get over there. Others are saying, do you really want to go there because the Jews are threatening to kill you? Maybe you shouldn't go. And Jesus purposely waits. And he waits till Lazarus is dead. He gets there after Lazarus has been dead for four days. So it went from the time of Lazarus is likely a goner. You know, he's uh, the clock is ticking down. There's the two-minute warning. You better get over there. Jesus could have sent word, and he would have been healed, which he did in other places in the Scripture. The Old Testament references that. But Jesus does nothing but wait. And then he comes, and Martha meets him first. How she had the opportunity to meet him first when she was the one that did most of the work around the house. We know that from other times where we hear their interchanges, Jesus and Martha. And um, she comes out, and she's crushed because her brother's dead. She said, Lord, if you'd been here, you, you read it. Here we are. Lord, if you had been here, verse 21 of John 11, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatever, whatever you ask of God, God will give it you. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And there he uses anesteme. The grace, the upward movement of what God wants in the hestemi of his life and in the histemi of this moment, the histemi of this place, at this time, is going to come alive. Grace is going to meet the moment, and the histemi will be manifested as God has ordained it. Your brother will anesteme. Then Martha says, I know that he will anesteme again in the Anastasis, 
of the last day. That's a very interesting thing. They're having a theological discussion here. Do you realize that? They're using some big words. They're using some words that are, make it simple. Not simple. She's talking about an age-old discussion, an argument, as it were. I say age-old. It's been centuries about the anastasis. Has God set up a structure, a heavenly kingdom with angels that come and serve and represent him at his throne? Has God really set that up? Now, the people knew that he did. They saw it. They fellowshiped with God on the floor of sapphire at the base of the hill. They ate with God. They knew this. But then they went away and said, we don't have any, want to have any part of it. And when they did that, as the Apostle Paul said, there's a veil over their face to this day. They know it's there, but they don't really think it has any bearing on them. So then there would be people who say, it's not there at all. Sadducaic wisdom. And they would argue with one another. So Jesus is born into this scenario. The Sadducees-Pharisees argument about the anastasis. Sadducees say there is none. Pharisees say there is. They just don't understand it. And they probably don't want to understand it because if they do, they're going to have to do some changes. So Martha is aware of this. Jesus is aware of it. Anybody living there in Jerusalem is aware of this. This is not a topic that is, um, is inane. They all know it. Uh, and in fact, I don't know what they really thought. I, I, don't, I don't know really what they were looking for um, regarding the resurrection. There are a lot of people today in the church that will sing songs about heaven and sing songs about the angels. and But if you mention it being active anywhere in their life, they look at you like you've got 666 on your forehead and you better get away. They're complaining to the pastor about you. Yeah, they agree that there is such a thing. They just don't want to have anything to do with it. And then there are others who are just in the church because it's a cool thing. You know, we can trust these people. Maybe they're uh, in some kind of business and they want to attach themselves to a church with 10,000 people because it's like a, a shark's pool. Or maybe they go because they're looking for the future Mr. or Mrs. whoever their name is. And they think, man, there's a, there's a whole flock of young ladies here and they're all good, clean girls. I'm going to go out there and pick me one of them. I had people that came to this church in the years past who came in solely for the purpose of searching for a good, clean girl to marry. And as soon as they married the girl, they were gone. Terrible. So we talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but we've got the same thing going on in the general church today. So... But the point, though, is, is that Martha is well aware of moving in the hysteme, 
And, of course, what Jesus was saying, as I just said a few minutes ago, uh, Lazarus is going to come back into this esteme, and he's going to fulfill what his duty is. In fact, this whole thing has been planned by the Father to showcase the difference between the anesteme and the anastasis. I'm not going around just to raise people from the dead and work miracles. That's not my job. In fact, my job, and I'm going to tell you what my name is, I am the resurrection. Remember the old song? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. You know, it's, it's almost like a Gilbert and Sullivan. You know, we're up, we're on the front of the of the uh, of the the flying buttress, and Captain Sparrow's got the sails going, and the ship is going along, and we're all good sailors, and we're saying, oh, "I am the resurrection." And of course, you got to move your fist back and forth across your chest. Boom, 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 boom. You know, we know that song, but when Jesus says this. He's not talking about raising Lazarus from the dead. He's talking about the real reason he came. To bring people through grace and truth into that functionality of the kingdom of God. How can we be sons of the Most High? What sacrifice needs to be made so that people can if they're willing and if they believe, come into a place where their spirit is born again and they fulfill a divine function of partnership with God in his heavenly kingdom. I am the resurrection. This is what I'm here to declare. I am not just the resident come-back-to-life specialist. That's the whole discussion right here. That is the whole... And when you look at it, when you look at it, it really makes this confusing story relatable. You understand what Jesus is saying. And then, you know, there's this flock of people, these prof professional mourners... They may not even be professional. They're just some people that love death. Oh, man, they fix, they build shrines. They go into a catatonic fit about remembering people who've died. And I'm, I'm sorry if I'm offending some of you, but it's just the case. I remember one time there was a, a young lady who was dying. Precious, precious woman. Loved her dearly. She just loved the Lord. But there were people around her who just, like death leeches, thrived on the whole idea of dying and mourning. And they even, even some of them, I saw their, their mother come in, and she was the harbinger of this type of thing. She just thrived. And, and if you... If you didn't mourn along with them, oh, you were just uncaring, unchristlike. 
Well, when Mary gets wind, the sister of Martha, that Jesus is there, she comes running, and the professional mourners, read it in the scripture, it says it. They see her running and think, oh, she's going to the tomb. And they gather up their whatever they have, and they go running because they're gonna, they think that they can either fulfill what they were paid to do. I have a hard time believing Mary and Martha paid them to do this. They were just there. That was their ministry. Jesus sees them coming. Mary hits the ground, which is her favorite worship pose. I can't complain about that. She says, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus sees these other people, and he, in his spirit, he groans. What's that say? We've talked about the groaning of the spirit. Jesus was fulfilling what he was here to do. I am the resurrection. He had spirit just like we do. I don't know how that works in the economy of God. He was fully man, fully God. How do we know he had this? Because at the cross, he gave up the ghost. Read it for yourself. And he's groaning in that spirit. And then he goes to where this cave is, and a tear comes down his face. He's not mourning. Perhaps it's a tear that says, because I am the resurrection, I represent my father's business. I represent his will. I represent heaven. I am here to show people how to function on this earth representing that kingdom, knowing that what they do here is merely a reflection and a a, a servitude of the eternal kingdom. Maybe it was a tear of joy. There's, there's no indication. If you look it up, it just means a tear. Tear of joy. You know, there are some people in my church, and I love them dearly. When the Spirit begins to move on them, they just start weeping. It's not because, oh, it's because that's just the way they register. So to me, I think Jesus is standing here knowing what the Father had said for him to do. The whole discussion of bringing something back into their histemi has just been had with Martha, and he identifies that he is the Anastasia. He is the thing that the, Jew, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees bitterly argued over. And he was going to show them what the kingdom does. And he cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And out he comes. Now, whosoever liveth and believeth in me will never die. The Apostle Paul said in Acts 26, 23, Christ suffered that he should be the protos of the Anastasia from the dead, showing light unto the people and to the Gentiles. This really is a big topic. You can think about it. You can pray about it. You can study it in the scriptures. But here you have the protos, the protos, that launching forth into the new, the pro, the, not only the first, it's a first fruits, but it's an advance into something in the timing of God, of this anastasis. Why did Christ have to die for this? Because the sacrifice had to be made. 
the, 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 the sacrifice for us to know the Father, to be redeemed to the Father, the sacrifice for that cross to be a stake of ownership throughout the world had to be done. Otherwise, Jesus would have just come, told us about the Anastasia, and gone back. Showed us a few things that we could do on earth. But that wasn't Jesus' agenda. So Christ had to die for the enemy to illegally kill him, for the curse to be eradicated for those who wanted for it to be eradicated. And, you know, so that had to happen. There had to be the sacrifice. This is good. So why is this happening now? Um, why is there such a stirring in the heavens about this? Well, as we looked, if you still have those notes, that outline from Sunday, uh, the, the page three of that outline talks about the power of the anastasis. You know, we looked at what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, where he talks about the, 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 how the resurrection, this anastasis, invigorated a lively hope within him. Um, that, that his hope, that seed of faith from Elohim, would, would bring life and would be vibrant within him because of what Jesus did in making the Anastasia a part of our existence. And then he talks about the inheritance he has. And he talks about the uh, being a watchman over, over this power. And um, he counsels people to be able to keep that at the forefront of their thinking and their activity, even though for seasons you may be tested. Your, tr your faith will be trialed. You can have heaviness that is manifold. And Peter just tells what that resurrection Anastasia brought. You know, we, we looked at the, the prophecies of the anasteme. There's only two words here. I mean, if you're still confused by two words, <laughs> we need to lay hands on your noggin. Uh, but the prophecy about how that uh, in, in um, Mark 8... Mark 9, um, and um, it talks about how Jesus would be killed, and then on earth, he would anesteme. He would come back to life to fulfill what God wanted him to do in the histemi of the moment, and in the histemi of that city, and the histemi of the disciples, and those many days where he taught them before he sent them uh, after his ascension to uh, at his ascension to Jerusalem to offer supplication we you know the story but the prophecy was that he would anesteme he would come back to life and uh, fulfill what he was supposed to do in the histeme but the agenda was the anastasis. And so, in Romans 1, 4, page 3 of that outline, or in your Bible, um, we have uh, 
Romans 1, 4, Acts 4, 33, and Philippians 3, 10, we have direct uh, references, promises, that from this Anastasia, dunamis can be drawn from. The power of the resurrection. That's what the early church went forth with great power and great grace, megas. Why was that? Because when you, when we recognize what we're really doing, just in essence, we represent, tell me if these aren't things that God has meticulously attempted to show us in his word, to establish the foundational validity of it, and then the functionality of it in our intercession, in our visions. We have been being trained and utilized in the Anastasia. We have been recipients and participants of the victory of Jesus. We can be before our Father at the right hand, which is the essence of faith. We can minister in intercession in and on behalf of the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. We function with the angelic. We sow our tethemes of obedience in conjunction with the thesaurus in heaven. We are living this. We are pillars of the temple, the stelos. We, we minister here, uh, meeting with Elohim, so that the plan of God, the plan of Yahweh, can be released. We have been serving God, hopefully to the best of our abilities, according to the Anastasia that Jesus made possible which is what God intended from the very beginning, which is what he tried to do with those veiled people in the Old Testament. But they skedaddled. They were scared of it. The enemy didn't want them there. In fact, they even said, if you go there, you're dead. If you see an angel, you're dead. You better stay away from it. You remember all those things? It's there in the, in, it's even, it's in the King James. I bet it's even in the Passion Bible or the Fire Bible or the What's Happening Lately Bible. I bet it's even there. It's not in the Progressive Bible. They've probably torn those out. But the point, though, is that power, dunamis, is function. It's resuscitation of a divine identity. So if we have the cross in our histeme, which we do, the Father has sent us with that. If we're not functioning in that, we're not as sons. That's what the scripture says. Read it. So if we're there, because we know that we're representing the throne of God, the place where Jesus has brought us to, thanks be to him. We, by virtue of all these scriptures, should be able to draw from the dunamis of God into that place. It's not because you memorized a bunch of scriptures, even though you should know the scripture. It's not because you've argued your case in some courtroom. It's not because you've done any other thing. You represent 
what God the Father wants, you draw the dunamis power of function because of the Anastasia. And that's, that's it. What were the disciples doing in Acts 4 where they, the apostles gave witness of the Anastasia of the Lord? You know, you're talking Anastasia. In that environment, you got the Pharisees that are kind of irritated because, you know, they were irritated with Jesus because the, the people say, you know, he's saying the same scriptures as you are, but he's talking with power. So the Pharisees were always trying to get rid of these guys. The Sadducees, they hated it probably as maybe, I think maybe the Pharisees hated it more. That's just a matter of debate, not that you really want to be debating this. Yeah, the Sadducees had been irrit irritated by the Anastasia for their whole lives. And they, they didn't like the term. They thought it was not for them. And they were irritated by anybody who said that it even existed, whether they were functioning in it or not. So to them, it was just the Pharisees on steroids. They still didn't like it. And they didn't know what to do about this Jesus. They didn't know what to do about their holy place, having the veil torn from top to bottom. They didn't know what to do about all the things that happened on that day of crucifixion. They didn't know what to do about the dead bodies that came up out of the ground. They, they didn't know what to do with any of that, but they thought probably, well, just, it'll pass just like every other miracle passed. And then we can say, it never happened or maybe, yeah, it was for that time, but it was, a, it was an outlier. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they didn't like it. Man, we were attacked by Pharisees. People who would quote scripture, and then when we would say, what's happening here is this scripture, wow, they were furious. They had to stop us because they didn't, they didn't want to be challenged. They didn't want anybody to be able to say, God is doing something in us in an area that we felt we cornered the market on. That's The Pharisees were the most vicious of all of them, even though the, the, if there was one thing that would bring the Pharisees and the Sadducees together in the Sanhedrin, it was this topic of the Anastasia because it threatened them in different ways. It shouldn't have, but it did. These veil wearers didn't want it happening. And this is why Gamaliel's counsel about the disciples was so vibrant. If, if this is of God, you're not going to be able to do anything about it anyway. If it's not, it'll peter out. So, not, not to borrow his name, it will fizzle out. I don't think there was a disciple named Fizzle. Maybe there is in some of the newer versions. Maybe that was one of the seven dwarves. I guess we can't say that now. Um, that's been woked out. Well, that's another topic. But let's just leave it alone. But they weren't willing to do that. 
So the disciples come into this environment, and they're not talking about the anastemi. No, no. Why? Why were they not talking about the anastemi? Because that was a visitation for that moment in that hastemi. And really think about it. The guy that was anastemied was gone. He, they saw him, 500 of him, saw him float up into heaven. He's gone. He's gone. He ain't here no more. So they're not talking about the anastemi. They're talking about, rightfully so, what Jesus came to do, which is to speak about that thing that was done. So one other thing I wanted to say about this, which I touched on Sunday, stasis really means, stasis is the noun form from hastemi. Got that? You know that. So it's just like anything else. The the parats, the breakthrough, makes the way for the parets. And then when you function in the parets, then more parats happens. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, you got to have the chicken. The chicken came first, the one that's going to create the egg, but then the egg brings forth more chickens. God, you know, you don't see any record in Genesis of God creating eggs. He created creatures. And so we, we know that if you stand in the gap, then you have breakthrough. But the breakthrough then takes you into new territory where you discover new gaps and you've got to stand there. Simple. Simple. So, um, you know, the, the power shows forth the validity of what God ordained. But the stasis means something that is established. It means there's a structure. It means that there's something that has been erected and it's there. But something's got to move out from that. Otherwise, it just sits there. It becomes like a whitened sepulcher. It becomes like a lot of cathedrals that were made with thousands of dollars and thousands of men and women hours, but sit there empty. It's like the temple and the tabernacle. If the temple is established because of the tabernacle, then the temple should send out tabernacles. But if the temple isn't sending out the divine order of tabernacles, soon the temple becomes a monstrosity and and a harbinger of demonic. Does that make sense? So the whole issue of stasis is kind of a strange word because it's something that's established. Medically, it means if you're in stasis, you're in trouble. You need a breakthrough. Things are stopped and there needs to be function interjected there in some way and so the whole idea of the anastasia is really an interesting word to me i didn't god didn't ask me and i understand the principle it would have been better to call it the anastemi because there's something functioning there's something happening whoop 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 Oh, man, we've got the cross, and bless God, we're going to see some really powerful things now. But if you talk about anastasis, that's that's an invitation to partner in grace. Why do I keep saying Anna is grace? 
Why not? I mean, if you look in your Greek stuff, some egghead is saying that it means something that is with you and something there. Well, that's true. It's the same thing we're saying right now. But if you see what they'll say, that it comes from the Hebrew, which means ana, which is grace. Remember our 101 studies about that? So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, he's saying that I'm here with you now for you to partner in grace with something that is established so that you can glean power and meaning and serve the Father. Otherwise, it's just going to be there and it's going to become Sadducee, Pharisee all over again. We know it's there, but we just don't really have any function. Or, uh, you know, it's been said that it's there, but that's a bunch of wives' tales. We don't believe in any of it. So the point for us is, is there power in the resurrection? Or is it just, as Luke might say, but in much better way than me, a fait accompli, and you just bow down at it and genuflect and say, thank you, Lord, once a year? or every communion. See, that's a very interesting thing because stasis invites activity. It doesn't make activity. The whole idea of God's kingdom is that he wants to partner with you. If you're not willing, he's not going to make you. Does that make sense? So, I am the resurrection could easily be said... I am making a way for you to partner in grace supplication with what my Father has laid out, but he wants to partner with you. He has ordained that you would be with him and like him. The power of function comes through that. So it might be that the apostle, the apostles giving witness, being a marturia of the anastasis, is really talking about, hold on now, is really talking about what you and I have, as saints have been living. Right? Tell me if we've not talked about every one of these terms over the years. And the Spirit has led us into understandings of the Scripture and into serving Him. So why is God... Maybe it's... I'm just saying, maybe it's because he wants us to understand this better. Of course, you've got to know that. I'm glad for understanding. I love the understanding of the Scripture. Or maybe it is that as God has turned the page in his timetable and we're transitioning and there is breakthrough ahead, there are going to be things that are happening in our terio, in our histeme, in our uh, our divine um, identities that God is wanting to do, and he wants us to know that we're not subject to what the mourners are saying. We're not subject to the laws of this life. We're not subject to what the enemy is trying to do. We're not subject to the professional ones that just uh, just think that this life is all there is. We can see the histemi activated, the dunamis of that. But it's because of what Jesus did and because our identity is there. It's a functional identity. It's not just for the sweet by and by. 
Oh, ain't no grave gonna hold this body down. You see, we, we all, we temporalize all these things. And I'm not faulting people. It is a great comfort when, I don't know how many funerals I've conducted, well over a hundred. I don't, I don't know um, how many. I don't keep count. Some preachers do, I don't. But it's a great comfort to be able to tell people, you know, your loved one isn't here. Your loved one, because they accepted Jesus, is in heaven. We take great comfort in that. That's a, it's a great thing. But that's not the reason Jesus came. Just so we would, when we die, we can go to heaven. It's not, I will be the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And the life. Are you willing to believe at the right hand of the Father? Regardless of what death might be all around you, yet will you live. So I think that there's there are some things that God's going to be releasing, demonstrations of power, the miraculous, and, and he's wanting to infuse us to with belief. But it's not because we can slickly quote scriptures or we know how to declare or we uh you know, we got 500 people praying to force this thing. Jesus had one person there, and he wasn't having a whole lot of help there at the at the grave of Lazarus. In fact, even the woman of faith was saying, oh, Lord, don't roll that stone away. My brother is smelly by now. He's been in there four days. The power of the resurrection is the power of what we know our Father is doing in the heavens where we are called to serve. Our conversation is there. Our Lord Jesus is there praying for us to do the will of the Father. Dare I say, the resurrection is praying that we will function on behalf of the anastasis. I think we need to understand this better. And I think that we're about to know a lot of visitations of God's power in our histeme, but we should always remember that it's all rooted at what Jesus has uh, made available for us in accordance with the Father's will and what he has established in heaven. All right, I rambled on there on past time. But thanks for uh, sharing these musings with me. And again, if it's not in the Scripture, if I'm talking to the Saints Network here, if it's not in the Scripture, let me know. But it's there. And um, that's the most important thing. Now, will old Uncle Joe down at first whatever church, if you go with this revelation, do you think you're going to convince him? Probably not. Pharisees are hard, tough to convince. They're hard, they're a hard lot. But I'm not, I bless them. I don't think I'm better than them. I just think that I have a job to do, as you do as well, and I'm going to have to give account for what God's given me to do. 
but I can't be put off because they're not they're not getting on board. They may sing the song, I am the resurrection and the life. Boom, boom, boom. All right, well, we'll uh, see what the Lord wants us to share tomorrow on Wednesday Night Live. Sure do appreciate all of you. We speak blessing over you. And um, once again, it's, it's an honor to serve with you. And we appreciate you all very much. So tomorrow, Wednesday Night Live, next week, Monica should be back with us. And um, we'll look forward to what, um, what the Lord will have us all doing. Till then, God bless you. Goodbye.